I mean, that, that's as good as a reason as any to say welcome to another edition of the Agile Uprising podcast. Um, I am continuing the awkward introduction phase of the podcast that Andy started, uh, who is sitting right next to myself, Andy Clef. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, how, how do you feel about making things more awkward on the podcast for listeners? Do you feel like it's been good for us? I, I like it. I, I think that, you know, cold open stuff, it's getting all the views. <laughs> we are trying more YouTube stuff. If you're, if you're one of those YouTubers, um, and, like and the, the oldest of our crew, Andy being the most like social media, like heavy board member is, was, I did not have in the office pool. I will say that, um, <laughs> we will stop talking because we have a guest with us. Let's act, let's act right people. Um, the uh, the agile dude was way overdue for a for a visit. We haven't talked to him in a while. Jason Little, what's going? I I feel like I'm obliged to make some joke about a defensive man or something that Lock Ryan Lockard would want me to make fun of some player on your team with skates. I don't I I don't I don't watch the sport, so I'll but I'll pretend to. Okay. Any uh, any Edmonton Oiler joke? would would work so the fact that they choke every playoffs even though at the beginning of the season they're going to win the cup just because they have connor uh but we always finish higher than philly so i guess he can't uh that's, that's there's, there's not much he can chirp on the old, <laughs> i think for the for most of the sporting community it doesn't matter the sport the goal is to finish higher than philly i and yeah. a completely different sport my team is also in a battle with philly to finish higher so yep <clears throat> Um, so that one was for you, Ryan Lockard. Uh, I dare you to listen. Um, so Andy, yes, what are sir. we talking about today? So the, the Graham Poobah of Lean Change published, uh, something and, uh, we'll include a link in the show notes if we can still figure out how to do that. It was a, an intriguing clickbaity title. It was, it was well done. Uh, four old school agile mantras that change agent should be stealing. So that's going to be the the skeleton or the bones of the conversation. We'll we'll dive into. I just into love that. that you just accused Jason of being clickbaity. Well, it worked. <laughs> I opened it. So you 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 started. You know, it's somewhere where that it might even be the first sentence. So. Um, I'm going to give you a direct quote and then ask you what you were thinking, and then we can unpack this. I think it's a good assumption to say that when Agile started to become a big business somewhere around 2012, the intention was lost. Yep. What the hell happened yeah. in 2012? Well, that that seems to be the time when um, Agile became less about... Uh, the intention and coming from a software background, and it became a way for people to print money. Like that's when you started seeing the frameworks and, you know, Biff's certification emporium spinning up and all this other kind of stuff. And, you know, free enterprise, whatever, who cares? Do what you want. Got fired at Biff. Yeah. But, but that, that seems to be the point where it became, it started getting watered down and it became more about the right side of the manifesto instead of the left. You know what I mean? Like it all, it became about the processes and the best practices. And then, uh, you know, late majority started picking up on agile stuff and started turning it into 
frameworks and step-by-step magic bullets and all the stuff that it was not the intention, I think. Well, I'm I'm reading Jim Highsmith's book, Wild West to Agile, and and about three quarters of the way through. Chris, you're reading it too. Um, He's broken things down into time chunks based on his, his view of where he was technology and and he's calling the period from 25 to 2010 the courageous period and I'm, I'm in that chapter and he's describing the lead up to uh, an agile dev conference which was at the 10th anniversary of the agile manifesto so it was 2011 and he was on the on the organizing committee and, he, and it was the first instance of the executive forum theme and uh, the the catchword was now is the time for enterprise agility, and and maybe that was it. Like 2011, people like oh this agile thing's sticking around. Uh, Dean Dean launched um, Safe in 2011, and Safe version one 2012, um, but it filled a, a need somewhere. Oh, for sure. Well, that was around the time the enterprise scrum, um, um, his name just left me. He's no longer with us. Um, the, but that's, you know, the, the, the idea of enterprising, the enterprising of things or whatever is, it, it does seem to me, I like, I, I love that Jason, said the quiet part out loud which is basically like we've all been saying it for years but it's it's it i feel like it we, the atmosphere is ready to start saying like hey the heart of what the manifesto was hoping to achieve doesn't really jive with making a lot of money because the things that get people to make a lot of money tend to enforce things that may lean more to the right side. And I'm not saying the right side is bad, but if we're, if we're still going by the manifesto, we say that we prefer things on the left more than the right, then why does all the things on the right uh, include how we make money? Like, is that mean agility is just meant for poppers? Like I don't, and you know, I don't, I don't know. I, I just wanted to use the word popper in a sentence. Oh, that's good. That's good use. Yeah. Well, I mean, Everybody's got to make a buck. And that's probably the, the, I remember when everybody was attacking certifications and stuff. And um, I remember a lot of the responses from people that offer those, that was their reason, right? Like everybody's got to make a buck. Well, yeah, you do have to make a buck, but you're making a choice. So let's not pretend that uh, the, the glut of stuff on LinkedIn and all the marketing things forced you into having to put your values and principles aside to pursue money, you made a choice. Stop blaming the industry for it. Um, And I've made a choice to not do stuff like that. I don't do certifications. I don't, you know, do any of that stuff because for me, it just, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So the the practitioners are making choices to uh, stay in that enterprise space and to make Agile more about process and to make it more about obedience and compliance um, and standards and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then they complain when it doesn't work. So what do you, you know, I don't even remember how that that post came to be. I think the original title was, um, you know, four things that uh, Agile change bandwagon jumpers haven't stolen yet. Because... <laughs> 
the change has been, you know, my world for greater part of the last 20 years. And we're, we're out of things to pillage. I mean, you guys have seen this with agile, right? Like first it was about software and then it was like, oh, we could steal something from business requirements and we can steal something from, oh, let's steal some HR ideas. Let's steal some org exchange ideas. Let's do agile for management. Let's do agile for whatever. So now we, I think the only thing we haven't touched yet is agile for board members. That hasn't become popular, but some people are talking about it. Once that's taken, what's left? You know, it's it's like this amorphous blob that just keeps eating stuff. Well, no, no, let's let's tug on that thread. Agile for board members. So we can't do t-shirts and shirts, but we could do bow ties. That's how it starts. Yeah. We could do bow ties, we could do ascots, we could do kind of great things there. So so your your old school mantras, let's explore yep. them. Um, as I read it, what you wrote, I, I think your frame was largely team levels, but I, I want to challenge us to to see if we can take those old school mantras and apply them at scale. Ooh. So you want to take the first one? Yagni. So the, first, yeah, the first one was Yagni, right? Yeah. So I did a little spin on how, how those things would relate to change, because I see this a lot with people coming from, I guess, what you would call traditional change and wanting to kick the tires on using agile and change is kind of how they phrase it. Um, and for them, it becomes because the stakeholder asked for it, I have to do it. So it's very much, you know, change gets dropped through the hole in the floor from the top and the change agents pick it up and they see it as an order. Oh, they ordered a burger with cheese and bacon, which is obviously delicious. Um, and they're going to go and fulfill that order because the stakeholder said so. So Yagni is more about if you're using that as a mantra, how do you get to the heart of what they want? Because no stakeholder I've ever worked with wants a year or 18 month roadmap of all the steps for a change. Those might be the words coming out of their mouth, but they really just want to know that you got your shit together and you're thinking about stuff. They never look at the plans um, and they don't want that. They want some feeling of certainty that we're get, we're headed in the right direction and you know what you're doing. So if you use that as a mantra, strip out all the stuff that doesn't matter, you know, Unless you're in a highly regulated field, you don't need all of these documents and things that change agents tell me that uh, they spend so much time on, but nobody ever gets value out of it. So use that to figure out what is it that I actually really need so I can make this change go one step forward. Yeah, that lines up, Jason, with a conversation Andy and I had a couple weeks ago about simplicity, right? So this notion of of simplification of things and and for the record that's a really complex topic is like simplicity is truly stripping away things that are unnecessary and and just say hey you're not gonna need that right like that which is at the heart of what yagni gets to is like why are we dealing with stuff that we don't need right here and now when there is you know because Every, you take this idea, the first thing is that everybody wants to know is how does it scale? Like Andy asked that at the very, like he just said, let's try to scale your cool ideas. I'm not saying Andy's a terrible person. I'm just insinuating that he's a terrible person, but he is <laughs> saying like, so why, why is this such a hard concept for us to get Jason? Mm. Well, I, maybe Andy's creating a new Yagni at scale certification and that's a... <laughs> Uh, because everything's harder at scale. It just takes more time, you know, try to get, uh, you know, have a party with three people and try to decide on pizza toppings. It'll take a little bit, 
now have 10 people at your party. It'll take a little bit more. It's the same thing with scale. Is as soon as you get at scale, you're you've got mismatched objectives. Um, you've got people who are busy with their day jobs and trying to maintain the links between all these groups that need to be involved in this decision just gets harder. So instead of dealing with trying to manage that, we just try to create a process and force people to use it because we don't have to interact with these thousand people or whatever it is. Right. And, and then the ask comes, uh, can we set up another meeting ceremony, et cetera, cadence to manage the complexity? Can we set up another reporting system? Chris, you and I talked about, you know, well, something went bad once and now there's a mandated report every week to make sure that it, that never happens again. So mm -hmm. I, I think um, it comes out of a fear of being able to say no. You don't need that. I, mm -hmm. I know you want a roadmap and I understand that's to check that we're good and we know our shit, but how about it? We tackle it. We tackle it some other way. Yeah. Well, yes. When you, when you scale things, the, the way that modern consultants consulting has taught us is the easiest way to scale things is just make it modular. Meaning like, and, and what Jason is touching on is that, human thoughts and things that happen in between our brains are almost impossible to modularize, right? You can modularize tech stacks. You can modularize coding practices. You can modularize testing practices and, and code coverages and tools and things that those are, those are non-human things, right? The challenge is, is when you try to scale human things, we are not modularizable, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's, and that's the ultimate challenge with, with, with you're not going to need it is like, I, I don't know how else to tell you. Yes, it may need, you may need that over in that other part of the business. You may need that over there. You may need this here, there, but not everywhere because unfortunately humans just aren't scalable in the human ways, right? Mm -hmm. No matter what open AI tells us. Yeah. A good example is uh, one company I did some work with, uh, I, I guess you could call them medium sized, about 6,000 people or so. And uh, when, when we had our big program portfolio wall, where all the decisions for programs happened in one room, we would get, I don't know, anywhere between 25 and 35 people in our, our portfolio level standups, basically to synchronize work. It was, it was like our air traffic control. Right. Um, and when you talk about Yagni, this was uh, in a regulated environment. So we just invited the auditors and the regulators and we said, this is our single source of truth. Whatever you need to make to satisfy whatever you need to satisfy, go do it. Like, we're not going to do it for you. We're not going to push it on you. But if you want to know what's going on, come to this room every Monday at nine o'clock and then do whatever you want. If you want help doing other stuff over there, we'll help you, but we're not going to so you you leave the control to the people who have to deal with whatever consequence that is leading you to think that you have to, well, what if we should make a process because what if these people have to report Freedom of Information Act? Oh, what if that group needs to do that? Then let them do it. Who gives a shit? Just provide a place for a single source of truth and support them to go do it. Right. If they do it or they don't, it makes really no difference to me as the agile coach or the change person. I'm just providing a linking mechanism 
to carry information between groups and these groups can decide how they want to uh, adapt their process or, or create something. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Okay. Uh, next mantra is last responsible moment. So this is a, this is one of those principles that like everybody can say they know what it means, but what do you feel like people, what do you feel like people get least about the last responsible moment, Mm. Jason? I think they think it means, or the behavior suggests that we can do whatever we want. Uh, sorry, we can do whatever we want, whenever we want with no consequence, which, which is kind of crazy. I mean, Joanna Rothman talks about this a lot. Uh, She talks about in her portfolio books was there's a shutdown cost and there's a task switching cost and there's a cost to changing requirements late in the game. That's still last responsible moment, but you have to have a uh, conversation about the consequence uh, of that action. So usually I, I actually just talked to somebody a couple of weeks ago about this, who's doing like a three year long, big system rollout. And how do we satisfy the stakeholders need for the training plan? I'm like, you don't even have the vendor picked yet. Like, why the, Why are you even talking about, you know, you're going to have to do training. So just stick it in the backlog and deal with it later. You don't have to decide on a vendor. You don't have to decide on a training platform. You know, something's going to happen later. So save that decision for down the road. So I like to ask people, how important is it to make this decision right now? What's the consequence of that? What's the alternative? Right. And then let them again decide because it's kind of, it's last responsible moment is you never know when it's the right moment, you know, after the fact. So you can be like, ah, shit, we should have did this two weeks ago. Oh, well, we learned now let's do it. But it's, you know, it's a, it's a paradox if you want to call it that. Andy, did you catch that? Like he, he, I mean, the, 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 the key to unlocking that is, is that nobody really honestly can say they are for sure. This is the last responsible moment. So Like Andy, how do we, how how do we help people get something that you don't really know until it almost when the moment's passed, right? And then you're like, oh shit, that there there it goes, there goes the bus. Mm. That's a good Mm. question. So so all right, so all right, so if we're like, which also at scale, like the scaling aspect of, or at least the enterprise wide aspect of this is this idea of like, what decisions need to be centralized versus decentralized, right? Like, that's one thing that I'm, you know, we can, we can say whatever we want about any of the scaling frameworks, but there's a few of them that do call out like, like, yo, some things just can't be decentralized. I get that we want to empower teams as best we can, but if you want the last responsible moment to be scalable, I am not letting you make a decision that's going to cost us a lot of time or money without putting my name on it, because that's what I took the job for. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's setting the right, the right, uh, the right constraint. Right. Right. And and that's contextual, right? What's what flight level you're on? um, What are the cadences? um, And then what is the, you talked about it, the, the threshold to commit, right? Mm -hmm. Um, when do we actually have to make that decision? And if we keep things smaller, um, I think we get more wiggle room. Talk about bat sizes being smaller and less yeah. whip. You have more flexibility. Uh, you have a, a 
bigger band of responsible moment. Mm -hmm. So by, by creating a buffer, whatever buffers you can, right. I'm not saying you like, and what, so and just for the record, Andy is not saying, Hey, I'm going to call every five and eight in Fibonacci scoring because I want to create a buffer. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is, is that there is a window to allow yourself it's not like if we don't decide in the next 10 minutes, that's not the way that decisions normally work, right? right. But you you can add some length or some runway to your quote unquote responsible moment if you think responsibly about as opposed to just going, I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. And I, I'm not the one paying the cost. So I'm happy to tell people to work nights and weekends. So I, it's not going to be, not gonna be me doing it. Like I'm okay paying that cost. Like that doesn't cost me anything additional to tell people everybody's salary. They're going to be working all weekend anyways. Like if it gets what I want, like, cool. Like, well, that's not what, it's not what we're saying. That's not what we're going towards. Right. So, I mean, are, is there a way to learn Jason, a better way to give yourself more buffer in your, in your responsible moment? Um, I'm not sure there's a way to give yourself more of a buffer. I think it comes down to how the, the strength of the people who are tasked with making those decisions. And when you think of like large scale product development, the decision, well, we've been doing this forever, uh, go, no go meetings and talking about the consequence of no go. Right. Talking about the consequence of Go or things like I just did a release last week uh, for the startup I'm working for. Um, we had a we do um, uh, every three weeks we do a call with all of our customers. And that's that's our roadmap. Like we don't have a roadmap. We have a list of things that we think are a pretty good idea. But those customer sessions drive what the roadmap is. And we release every week. So our constraint is every week we release. Um, and it's really, really small features. So I released one feature that uh, is, you know, you could call it 80% done, but it satisfies the most important need for them. And I saved the 20% that I'm actually going to release this Friday. So, but I think being upfront about that. So all of our customers know we release every week, you guys drive um, the backlog. When it's in production and you try it out, your feedback is going to help us evolve it. So we're not focused on trying to get it right by putting too much in and creating too many constraints. We're trying to make sure we understand the problem well enough. And more often than not, the customers don't know what the problem is till they start using it. Then they go, oh, well, it would be helpful if there was a checkbox here for this instead of having to go to a new screen. Awesome. Yeah. Like there, We could have went through a week of prototyping or two weeks of prototyping and back and forth and all this type of stuff. But, you know, I can release every minute if I wanted to. This is, we've just built it in a way that we can do stuff really, really fast. Um, so I, I think as long as you have that conversation and you have people that know how to handle those decisions and accept the consequence of it and manage upwards strongly, right? Uh, you can learn your way to what style is going to work the most in your context, I think. But I don't know if there's really a way to solve the last responsible problem because it is so contextual. There. All right. Number three. Um, <laughs> we can call it walking the dog to be politically correct and avoid yes. the earlier terminology. 
expand on that a little bit. This is the tracer bullet one, right? Uh, you're translating for us. Yeah, oh, no, you said it. Yes. Well, I'm just reading his. I'm reading the way that he wrote it, Andy. All right. Sorry for taking editorial license. <laughs> well, you can't blame me for it. You have to blame the authors who. Uh, That's fair. Them. That's fair. But, I, I honestly, this was not a concept that I was ultimately the most familiar with out of all of the. This is probably the one I was least familiar with. So, I guess, how would you describe? this for the for the uninitiated like myself jason well in software the intention was you you de-risk your architecture and your technology stack by doing a total end-to-end feature through your entire technology stack so you don't build by layer you don't separate by function um, you find one feature that can touch uh, through your whole system and then you learn really fast how good or not good your design and architecture is is the reader's digest version and um and change, it was kind of a similar idea because especially with big system rollouts, the pattern I see the most is it's done in phases. Phase one, gather all the requirements from everybody, lock it down, sign off on it, go away, build all of the front end parts, or sorry, build the data model first is what I've seen mostly for these big things is get the data model right and then build everything on top of it because now the data people and architects have moved on to the next project, so they can't come back and change anything. Um, and we we kind of follow that path, and then we unleash it on everybody and try to train them on it. So the idea of the tracer bullet is, um, which I did with one of the cities here, it was a three-year-long program, but we released by by business function, if you want to call it that. So we created a big perspective map of all the groups and departments, um, and then all of the functions that were getting built to replace a manual paper-based system. And we picked one slice that affected, you know, 20% of the teams. And boom, did that, and then layered on the rest after the fact. So instead of these big bang rollouts is how can you do it incrementally? And the, uh, the argument against that obviously is rework. Right. You're, you you are going to have rework anyway. in software no matter what. Yeah. So I, I, I love the the alternate way of, of walking the dog through the woods, right? Finding your way and figuring out what's lurking in the shadows. Yeah. And and that the concept that uh, Dave Thomas and Andy Hunt put out about working through your tech stack that way is beautiful. I want to swing it around to working through the cultural and behavioral changes that come with transformation of the ways of working, mm-hmm. right? What are the equivalent uh, signals in the walking the dog um, for cultural aspects, shifting mindset, shifting behaviors? I like using a gigantic ripples diagram, or maybe you just call it a mind map or whatever it is. So organizations typically don't know how this Agile transformation, digital transformation, cultural transformation, whatever you want to call it, they don't know how that thing is going to evolve until they live with it for 12 to 18 months and they go through all of their regular ceremonies and rituals and they find out where things work and don't work. Yeah. So, you know, companies that start an agile transformation company, I don't know if anybody's still doing annual planning, but I come across a couple here and there that Oh, they still do. Every August is We've got our $45 million. We've earmarked all the money. We've created all the programs. And one of our programs is an agile transformation. We're going to start in September. 
And I go, that's not a good time to do it because you've already pre-committed to work the old way for the next 12 to 18 months. It's just not going to work. I've, I've turned down three that come to mind where I've just flat out told them, I said, it's, it's going to be too hard. You know, right. what's going to happen when you want people to do the right thing for the customer, but you've committed $12 million to their portfolio. They're going to get that $12 million spent no matter what. So walking the dog is make a ritual inventory of all the, like every quarter, some companies I know they do their mass layoffs and mass hiring, lay off a bunch of people to hit the numbers, hire them back the next day. Um, I worked for one company that did reorgs every January just for something to do. No intent behind it. So everybody knew this was a regular ritual and ceremony. There's the planning, there's the performance reviews, there's the calibration, there's budgeting. Walking the walk the dog through those things and think about how this transformation is going to touch those. Right. Just to give you an idea of what to expect. I, I also love, I mean, I, I I think about one of the very first things that you wrote, Jason, that I remember resonating with me earlier on in my journey was this notion of like remodeling your your a part of your house, like a basement, right? Is I we're you 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 get an idea about what it looks like, but then as soon as you start peeling back the walls, you realize there's like wood rot in there. I mean, you, you kind of put a lot of those different ideas of like, you don't know until you've gotten started yeah. where the problems are you going to have. So like when you're, when you're building change canvases with people, the easiest way to walk the dog for me is, is I need a cross-functional group of people that touch every aspect of the business. I need marketing and finance in the room. I need HR in the room. I need business. I need IT. You know, I need someone that can speak to the C-suite, you know, it doesn't have to be everybody in it, but like the, the, e the easiest way to send that tracer through the entire system, like all, everything that's going to affect lead time is to have everybody that could affect lead time in the room when we talk about these ideas. And mm -hmm. then we go, how's that idea going to land like that? you will see that's when you start seeing like, Oh, we peeled back this wall and there's such and such behind the, behind the sheetrock and whatever and stuff. Right. Like that, that's yeah. an easily, easily grokkable idea, no matter, I mean, for, for most people. Right. Yeah. You want, you want that response because that response, which often gets confused as resistance. So when you want to do this transformation and everybody freaks out about it, they go, oh, they're resisting. Well, no, they're not. They're trying to make sense of it. They're trying to understand how this is going to screw up their next three months because they've already got that planned out. So that yeah. we have to have that conversation. We can't just blame them and try to overcome their resistance because it's not resistance. It's just their response. So, I mean, it's exactly like that. I remember the story where I wrote that and it was, it was funny because the the guy who was going to do our kitchen, uh, he was asking about something with like pipes and one of the bulkheads or something. And he's like, well, you know, it's going to be 1500 bucks or it's going to be 8,000. It really depends what's back there. And uh, he's like, so what do you want to do? And I'm like, I don't know. So he just takes his hammer and he just bashes a hole in the wall and he goes, right, it's going to be 1500. Like there's no, you know what I mean? So like either way, you're fixing something. You're either fixing a right. big mess or you're fixing a tiny little piece of drywall. And you're not going to know until you start. You ain't going to know until you do it. Yeah. Uh, it's, I mean, that, that's how Andy like emotionally processes his days. He just walks around with a hammer and starts. <laughs> yeah. The, the house is a bit of a mess. 
Yeah, um, I, his girlfriend is not a fan of how he keeps not a up, fan. But... I was just in seeing what's behind the wall, honey. Um, maybe maybe this is a good segue uh, before I get into more trouble. Um, using yesterday's weather forecast to predict whether I need an umbrella um, or sunscreen for tomorrow. Let's let's unpack that a little bit. Mm. And also, yeah, why I, I, is it why is it out of like why is it not in vogue anymore? I, I re, this was one of my favorite things to do that just I don't hear anybody talk about anymore. I mean, why why don't yeah. we talk about it? Is it just because it like it doesn't sound as cool as it used to? I I think it's it's a symptom of again the post twenty twelve ish when Agile became a biz, big business is most of the people you'll see talking about Agile on LinkedIn are new within four or five, six years, they don't even know these things exist because they're getting introduced. And I'm not saying this is right, wrong, whatever. Uh, they're getting introduced to Agile through big business and frameworks and training and certification and Agile plus function name kind of thing. So they've just never seen it before. Uh, yesterday's weather um, for, you know, when I talk about it in change, it's things like, Companies have been doing transformations over and over forever. Right. Like think of any of the telecoms and banks uh, that you guys have seen, right? They've been doing this for 10, 15 years. You can reasonably expect that when they start the next one in a couple of months, it's going to work out the same as the last one. So you start to create, um, how did we, how did we approach this change last time or the last two, three, four times? What did we do and what happened? You can reasonably expect that that pattern is going to happen again, no matter what happens. Usually they think the the savior is some hotshot consultant or a new AVP who's going to come in, who's 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 road tested and seasoned with Dano's spicy rub. And they're going to come in and, you know, fix it because they've done it before. Well, they can't fix shit. There's no way they can. It's unreasonable to expect a savior can come in and do that but you can expect the organization is going to react the same way they did previously. So now you're again, you're with conscious choice. Should we do the same thing we've done for these last five transformation attempts, or should we fundamentally try something different? Let's talk about that consequence. I'm, as you're saying that I'm hearing all of the reasons why I, when I listen, when I talk to leaders, they're like, yeah, but I, it's some version of, yeah, but I wasn't here last time. Yeah. Right. And and that's fine. Right. There are some dynamic leaders that have absolutely come in and change organizations for the better. I don't ever want to make it seem like I don't think that's possible. Mm-hmm. However, like geniuses are rare for a reason and not everybody is. So, like again, regardless of how good you are, there are systematic and it's almost like the uh organizations are like living living ecosystems that have immunities to major change and the the bigger the change you suggest the more the white blood cells of the organization are going to attack it and it doesn't matter how dynamic you are like if it existed before it's gonna happen again and that's a great way to scale yesterday's weather is to say hey Last time we got together and we planned a quarter of work at a time, okay. how'd that go? Are right, we making yeah. consistent steps forward? Did the la- did did previous quarter did we get did we do better than the previous one? 
okay, well, that's a good, like, that's a good yesterday's weather. Mm-hmm. That's a reason to not, you know, throw ourselves out of a window or whatnot, right? Like good things can happen. So it's not all doom and gloom, but if we ignore the clouds and the and off in the distance, I mean, it's going to rain on you sooner than you realize. And, and you're, you're going to be the only one that's wet. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I it's the absence of that conversation. I think that yes. was really driving that yesterday's weather thing because they, you know, it, it's exactly like you said, um, I wasn't here last time and ego is part of it too, because when, when the, you know, the hotshot consultant or the new AVP or whatever come in, they have to prove impact right away. Yep. They have to demonstrate competence and go to, uh, you know, can do kind of attitude. So they come in and they push and the, uh, actually my first scrum master job, early two thousands ish, mid two thousands, something like that. Uh, we actually hired my replacement cause I was on contract. So we actually, the team interviewed the replacements for me. And we actually gotten a lot of shit for that because it was against HR's policy. We didn't know and we didn't ask anyway. But she came in and she did, uh, this is where the ritual inventory from Lean Change came from. She came in and just said, so tell me what's happened over the last year when you started with this and literally wrote it all down. Okay, well, we've done, you know, 23 sprints here's our velocity range, min, max numbers. We've done this many releases. We've done this, that, and the other, and just made a great big list and gathered up a bunch of stuff. She she kind of did like a job change retrospective almost, which I thought was just freaking brilliant. So let's, that's yesterday's weather. Now, what do you want to do for going forward? And I think if we do that, when we're talking about these big transformations, um, it gives us a little spot to kind of stop and breathe a little bit and take stock of the past and then go, okay, now that we've done that, now let's figure right. out what we want to do going forward. Yeah, that touches on, uh, I, I I had a, a amazing conversation with Bob Galen a few weeks ago and he, a lot of his writing is touching on this now is this notion of we're not like getting back to basics also means getting back to like the humility of what we do. They're, they're, uh, I don't think that there is, I don't think that our, our industry is approaching the work with the right level of humility of there's many roads up this mountain and it doesn't, I don't have one way of doing it. We have to figure it out. Um, But it has to start with me going, it doesn't have to be done a certain way for it to be good right? It's the same thing from a leadership perspective of like, you you can't approach a transformation with one, one path, one road, one way, one whatever, because it's, again, that's just not how humans work, right? Like, how, how dare I come in and say, I know the only way and I'm the only one that can do that for you, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, Annie, what do you think? it's competitive and and part of the people buying want to see that persona show up the savior persona uh and so to get the the opportunity sometimes you have to you have to pitch that way mm-hmm. um i was thinking about yesterday's weather a little more and i think um if if we talk about what people are measuring um we can get some value out of that right so jason you shared the story so we've measured velocity and the variation and so forth um, that only that not only can lead to good things, but it can also lead to bad things. Mm-hmm. Particularly at scale, 
here I go again. Um, when we start looking at weather patterns, we're measuring the wrong things. You know, mm -hmm. they're they're measuring sun and cloud and rain, and and in fact, maybe we should be looking at how the forest is growing. Right? Mm -hmm. Is there a diversity of plants and animals and microflora? Um, mm -hmm. I don't know where I was going with that thought, but um, <laughs> was it velocity being a bad measure? <laughs> That's too easy. Um, Chris, what else? We we've covered all four. Do you have a secret yeah, fifth, mean, Jason? Come on, pull one out. What, well, let, let's let's end with like let's end like so. For the record, please go back and read this post. It takes five minutes of your day, and it's a great like it's a it's a great. There's some great takeaways with how to use these mantras in your change initiatives, right? There's a, whether you're stealing them for not, I mean, you do point out Jason, like how to steal this for, for change in a positive way. Like I, you can take that if you want, or just like, I, I don't know, just use them at all. Cause clearly we're talking about things that haven't either not been used in a while, or they're not used in the way that they were originally intended to much like many other things in our industry. So like, I mean, what, when when you look at executives and they go, I read your posts, like so what? What am I supposed to do with this? Like, it, are you are you are you calling for a return to to some of the old ways, or is it deep? Is it a deeper than just these mantras? That was well. That specific post was more of um, informing people that these things exist. Uh, because much of what we're seeing with quote unquote agile plus change like has nothing to do with agility, right? It's it's people who've probably never worked on an agile team. Uh, you know, they talk a lot about I, I've seen so-called experts say agile's not just processes, it's also a mindset. I'm like, what the f <laughs> you know, <laughs> but you've got people going off and repeating these things. So it was, here's four things that exist that you can probably get value from because every time you go into an organization and you think, well, I can't do that because you're the problem, right? The organization is not the problem. And I've, I've been there. I've been in organizations where I go, crap, this is never going to work. Uh, but that's all inside my head. So I know I'm the problem. I've got to figure something out to try to do this. And it doesn't mean it has to be like a permanent change or it's gonna completely shake things up, but I need to figure out a way to try to use this uh, in a way that's constructive um, for other people. So it's, for me, it, again, it was all down to the change agent, whether you're an agile coach or a change manager or whatever, uh, you are making a personal choice to be a placator and appease the system or you can choose to try to do something different that's actually going to do something meaningful. Um, but it's it's your choice to make how you interact with that system. It's not the system's fault. It's not your boss's fault. It's how you are choosing to manage that interaction. So try these out. If they work, awesome. If they don't, you'll probably get fired and then you can go find somewhere better to work. <laughs> On that oh, note. Yeah, such a glass half full version. <laughs> Okay, here's a, here's a better one to close with. Sorry. Okay. Okay. Uh, you guys know Jerry Weinberg, right? Yes. yes. Yeah. So uh, Jerry uh, AYE, which I've gone to a bunch of times, that's with uh, Esther Derby, Johanna Rothman, Steve Smith, Don Gray, and and Jerry. And uh, 
he did he did a really good session on how to say no. And I think this was when he was really sick uh, with cancer. And he just he just said, everybody, you know, say no. He's talking in a microphone and it's still pretty low. And the whole group just says no. And he goes, what's so hard about that? Mm-hmm. And it was just such a strong lead into a conversation. And he told a story about being invited to talk to some enterprise company. They were going to give him an hour to kickstart their transformation or whatever it was. You're going to come in and do this awesome talk and inspire everybody to action, take action and transform. And he's like, I'd love to, but I don't know how to do that. And then he said, the phone kind of went quiet for a bit and they came back. Okay, we'll give you two hours. And still Jerry being Jerry is like, I'm sorry, I, I would really like to help you, but I don't know how to do that. And I don't think we do that a lot as change and agile people. We don't say, I don't know how to do that. We say, okay, I'll take your $10,000 for your keynote and instead of walking away. I I love, I mean, it, it's a it's a bitter pill to swallow, but it's one that we, I, I think we need more of. I, 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 I continue to say like, we, we don't have enough humility about our work and because I like, I'm not, I'm not a world conqueror. Like as much as I can be, I can have all the confidence in the room that you need. I can confidently advocate for ideas that I believe, but ultimately I am just one person trying to do my job of here to help you out. And if you're not interested, that's cool. Um, it just, it just means that, I, I have to say, I, 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 my, my parents constantly are like, I don't understand why you apologize so much to your kids. I'm like, why didn't you apologize to me more? Like, why didn't you say <laughs> I messed up? I was wrong. Like, I don't know why we don't say, I don't like, why can't we be wrong about something? What's so, what's so wrong with being incorrect? It, I, I don't, I just don't, I don't get that. That doesn't seem to me like something we should be dying on as a hill i don't know andy save me okay that's the topic for another podcast (laughs) (laughs) bring your failures right flaunt them celebrate them you know because they came with some learning part of the problem is i think we're we're paid to show up as experts still because that's what the system wants and that's what they celebrate rather than catalysts Mm. And you don't always know what the, the reaction is going to be because mm. every system is a little bit different. You guys should talk to Ken Rickard. Okay. He's got a really awesome relationship map, talks exactly about that. How when you show up as the expert, because what people expect, uh, but he also talks about how you are perceived when you come in with that stance. Uh, and it's, it's uh, really cool and interesting stuff. Ken Rickard. We'll look yeah. up, see if we can have a chat. Well, so, uh, Graham Puba of Lean Change, Jason Little, thank you so much for your time. Chris yep. Merman, thank you for setting this all up. And to our listening audience, thanks for sticking around long enough to hear the closing remarks. If you like this episode, subscribe, uh, leave a reaction. Uh, we, we read these things. If this is your first time listening, where the hell have you been? Um, join the discussion. Come on over to the Discord server. We've got a couple hundred active people. Um, bring right. your stories, bring your old school mantras, bring your new school mantras. Oh. And finally, yep. support from listeners just like you. Uh, keep our keep the uh, care and feeding of the podcast engine and the hosting and production going. So see the show notes for details on how to become a patron. 
And that's the point where we go cut. <laughs> <laughs>